for this evening. We're going to be continuing our sermon series through the book of Exodus, which was our Old Testament reading. So it would be really great if I could get you to open your Bibles again to Exodus chapter 19. That was on page 71, Exodus chapter 19, page 71. The other thing I commend to you is there is an outline for our sermon today in the very center of your bulletin. Um, there are some interesting arrows there and a few of the verses that we'll refer to later. So, uh, but center of your bulletin, uh, but most importantly, Exodus chapter 19 on page 71. If we found that, let's start with prayer. Mighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is God like? How should we conceive of him? What image should we have of the God before whom we live every moment of our lives? And how should that affect how we live? In our Old Testament passage today, we see God's people, the Israelites, find this out as they go to meet God at Mount Sinai, just as God had promised to Moses. And today, if you would, I would like us to, as it were, travel with them, to, to see what they see, to feel what they feel, so that as we do so, somehow we, we might meet our God too and perhaps even end this service, knowing him a little bit better than we did at the beginning. It is now the third new moon after the people of Israel had left the land of Egypt. They are now in the wilderness of Sinai, and there before us rises the mountain of God itself. Moses goes on ahead up the mountain, and God speaks to him. God gives Moses words of great promise, for the people. God says, remind them of his great salvation, and God promises them, if they will obey his words, they will be his special people, his kingdom of priests forever. That's verse 3. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The promises are wonderful, aren't they? But I want us to notice, first of all, that the promises start with if. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. And they are followed by, then you shall be. If you obey, then you shall be these things. And by implication, if they will not obey, then they will not be these things. Well, Moses gives them these promises, and the people respond with their own promise. This is verse 8. They say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Which means they're going to have to know what the Lord speaks. 
and they're going to need to know his covenant that they might keep it. And in fact, that's what we will see next in Exodus. In the coming chapters, we will see God give his covenant to the people through Moses. But before that, they're going to meet God. And as they meet God, in fact, God is going to speak to Moses in their presence so that they will be able to trust, believe Moses when he speaks on God's behalf. God promises this verse 9. He says, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. But first, there's a serious problem. There is a serious problem that must be solved because if you remember what we've seen so far in Exodus, you know these people are grumblers. They are sinful people. They are unclean people. How can they possibly meet their holy God and not die? Well, the answer is in verses 10 through 14, where God shows that they must be at least symbolically clean from their sins before they can draw close. They are to wash their clothes symbolizing the washing away of sin. They are to refrain from sexual acts, symbolizing their consecration for God. But even then, after doing these things, they still cannot get too close. They still have to set limits around the mountain. They still have to make sure that no one, neither man nor beast, touches the mountain. The picture is clear, isn't it? God is revealing to them that he is so very, very, very holy that not only do they have to be clean, but if anything should touch the mountain upon which he descends, it would be such an offense against his holiness that that man or beast has to be killed at a distance. Well, they do what he asks. They keep themselves clean and they wait till the third day. And finally, on the morning of the third day, it happens. Suddenly their senses are filled with thunder rolling and lightning flashing and a thick cloud covers the mountain and through it all they hear the very loud trumpet blast. It is terrifying. It is petrifying. It is a display of God's mighty power and all the people in the camp tremble. But that trumpet is also the sign that it is now time to come even closer to holy God. And so out they go, Moses leading them up to the edge of the mountain where they take their stand before the Lord. But, but look to the mountain. The mountain now is wrapped in smoke. The Lord has descended upon the mountain in fire. The smoke is billowing up from the mountain, thick and fast, like the smoke from a kiln. It is fearsome. It is scary. It is so alarming that we read that even the mountain itself starts to greatly tremble. And meanwhile, the trumpet has not stopped. It was already very loud, but now it is getting louder and louder. Can you imagine it? And through it all, Moses speaks to God, and God answers him. The mighty God, from the midst of the mighty display of power, answers him with a voice and calls Moses to go up to the top of that mountain upon which God himself has descended. Perhaps we're expecting that now God will give to Moses the covenant for his people, but he doesn't. 
No sooner has Moses got to the top of the mountain, but God says, go back down again. God says, go down, verse 21, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. But as Moses rightly objects, he says the people cannot come up. We've already done what you've said. We've already set limits around the mountain. But God is so very, very holy that he cannot risk the people breaking through. And so although they've been commanded. He still sends Moses back down again to warn them, verse 24, lest he break out against them. And that is actually where we leave the Israelites in our passage today, standing at the foot of the mountain of God, feeling terrified before the awesome and powerful and dangerous presence of God, a God so holy that people and mountain alike tremble before him, a God that they're going to have to learn to revere and fear by obeying the words of his voice. And I want us to realize, first of all, that this mighty, holy God of Sinai is our mighty, holy God as well. I want us to picture in our mind's eye his glory, his power, his holiness on Sinai and burn it onto our hearts that it might teach us too how to treat him in holiness and fear. However, although God is the same holy God today as he was then, there are important differences we must realize between the Israelites then and us now. This is the second point on your outline, compare and contrast. We will see two things to contrast and then one thing to compare. The first contrast is this. The things which were promised conditionally by Moses are given to us unconditionally through Jesus by faith. Back in Exodus it said, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be but for us. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it's on your outline, it says, But you are, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It is as if it is saying, you are people who have kept the covenant and obeyed the voice of the Lord perfectly. You have its blessings. But you and I know full well that we haven't obeyed the voice of God perfectly, have we? Perhaps there were, some of us are feeling even today that just the sins of our past week are enough to send us to hell forever, let alone make us into God's holy priests. So what gives? How can this be said of us? Well, what gives is Jesus. Jesus gives. You see, Jesus is the one who did obey the voice of the Lord and kept the covenant perfectly and without sin. You see, in Jesus, we do not just have the forgiveness of our sins by his blood, but we have his righteousness. He kept the covenant for us so that in him we can receive the promises of the covenant by faith. See, in Jesus, we are now God's people by faith. And we have been made his priests to proclaim his excellencies, his gospel to all the world. 
That's the first contrast. What was, what was promised conditionally by Moses, we have unconditionally in Jesus by faith. The second difference, the second contrast is this. If you remember, the Israelites were not able to go up the mountain to meet God. They would die if they so much set foot on the mountain. But we are not only able to draw close to God, but we are encouraged to do so with confidence. Hebrews 12 and verse 18, we heard it read to us earlier. Hebrews 12 and verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice. We have not come to Mount Sinai in Exodus. Instead, verse 22, we have come to a different mountain, a mountain where God rejoices in his people. It says, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And he goes on. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's the same promise we remember in the Lord's Supper, isn't it? The promise that in Jesus we have a new covenant by his blood in the forgiveness of our sins. Not like the old covenant by Moses which condemns us for our transgressions, but a new covenant which says... Your sins are forgiven. One of my favorite hymns puts it this way. There's Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. So dear brothers and sisters, come to that same holy God by faith through Jesus, for he, so to speak, calls us all the way up the mountain to meet him with joy. Do not fear drawing close to God because you know he is holy. But come confidently, knowing that in Jesus, we are holy too. Second big contrast, we can confidently draw near to God through Jesus Christ. But now the very important thing, the important point of comparison. For although, yes, we come with confidence, clothed in Christ's righteousness, forgiven by his blood, the God to whom we come is exactly the same holy God that we saw in Exodus. Don't miss this. God loves you, and he sent his son to die to save you from your sins. Yet God is still the same holy and powerful and mighty God before whom the mountain itself trembled. Do not imagine that God has reduced his holiness in order to forgive you in Jesus. Do not imagine that because we are saved by faith, he has watered down his power or his might. He has not. In fact, the whole reason why the Son of God had to suffer and die on the cross is because he is as holy today as he was on Sinai. And yet in his great love, he sent his son to take our place before the Lord. He took our stand and the wrath of God broke out against him for our sins in our place. You see at the cross, 
we're not just seeing the love of God, but we are also seeing the demands, the great demands of his holiness. So my dear brothers and sisters, never forget this, that God remains the exact same holy God who would break out against anyone who so much as touched the mountain. And therefore, although we are forgiven by his son, let us learn to treat him as holy, fearing and revering him with all our lives. As Hebrews 12 and verse 29 puts it, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And if you look at the context in Hebrews, you realize that worshiping God with reverence and awe, it's not about singing and praising. Worshiping God with reverence and awe is about exactly the same thing as it was in Exodus. It is about obeying the voice of the Lord and keeping covenant. It is about loving one another, showing hospitality, upholding sexual purity, obeying our spiritual leaders, things like that. It is treating holy God as holy God, loving him, and therefore our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I am laboring this point, but I'm laboring it because I think it is important, and I believe it is the biggest thing we must see from this text in Exodus. As God's people, we must treat him as holy. We must learn to worship him by obeying his voice. It may well be that we know this very well. It may be that I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm sure of this. If only we remember the holiness of God, then we will not fall into despising and dishonoring him, thinking we can ignore his voice. So let me tell you, it breaks my heart some of the things that I read of from other parts of the worldwide church. I read of Christian leaders promoting same-sex marriage or homosexual acts as if God is not clear about both, or preaching another gospel, a gospel of worldly riches and health, as if God has not warned us against preaching another gospel or, or holding interfaith worship, as if God does not insist from beginning to end of his word that we worship him and him alone. Such things are not treating God as holy. They are forgetting his holiness. Let us not forget what we have glimpsed of his holiness today. Therefore, let us be sure that we are living in reverence and awe in all parts of our lives. Let's summarize what we've seen. Three things. First, we have seen that we need not fear drawing near to God. But we can know that because of Jesus, because of his blood shed for us, because he has fulfilled the covenant for us, we can draw near to God. Yes, we are sinners, but Christ has dealt with our sin. We shall not die. Second, we have seen something wonderful about that God to whom we draw near. We have seen that the God to whom Christ reconciles us is the same holy God from Mount Sinai, before whom the mountains shake and tremble. And finally, because of this, because we know that it is the same God, we see how we are to worship him with reverence and awe. We've seen how actually that means that every one of us must commit ourselves to turning from sin and turning to obedience. For we are, after all, a holy people, 
for his own possession, a people who you will one day gather around the lamb who was slain, the sprinkled blood that brings us forgiveness and eternal life, that we might spend eternity with him who loved us and bore the wrath of God for us. Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks and praise for the wonders of your grace towards us in Christ Jesus, that though we were sinners, he took our place and bore the wrath that we deserve, that in him we should have forgiveness of sins. We thank you for his perfect and sinless life, that in him all that is promised in your covenant might be given to us by faith. Pray, Almighty Father, that we should never forget the glimpses of your holiness that you have set before us in your word. Pray that we would always treat you as holy. Grant us grace by your spirit to always live before you, worshipping you by serving and obeying you in reverence and awe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.